Hello. Today is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And this episode of Media Roots Radio today will open with one of the only two first-hand accounts of what occurred on the planes during the 9-11 attacks. This was a message left by flight attendant C.C. Lyles, who was on flight 93, to her husband. And the beginning of the call is left mostly unaltered. And as we get to the middle part of the call, I clean it up a little bit with some noise reduction. Tuesday, 9.47 a.m. Hi, baby. I'm, baby, you have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I want to tell you I love you. Please tell my children that I love them very much. And I'm so sorry, babe. Um, I don't know what to say. There's three guys they've hijacked the plane. I'm trying to be calm. We're turned around. And I've heard that there's planes that have been flown into the World Trade Center. I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. I love you. Bye. I love you. Bye. End of message. <gasps> Whoa, shit. Oh my god. I, what the fuck is that? I don't know. We're fucking bombing it. Holy fuck. Oh my god. Did you fucking see that? I fucking caught that too. Holy shit. Cool. Yeah. This, Justin, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. And today we have a very special guest on again on Media Roots Radio, researcher Gumby, who's here to join us for our very special 9-11 episode. It's the 20th anniversary, of course, of 9-11. And this episode's going to be a little bit different than some of the previous 9-11 anniversary episodes that we've done we've done ones before where we've just sort of broken down you know a timeline of the day of the attacks sort of our own opinions about what we think happened on that day our own issues with the official story Um, but this is going to be a little bit different in the sense it's going to be a bit more meta there's news happening right now about Spike Lee putting together a 9-11 docuseries where there was all this controversy, apparently, because one of the episodes was going to be about Building 7 and how the buildings fell. 
I think it's a good time to remind people, especially younger people, uh, some of whom maybe were born after 9-11, that so-called 9-11 conspiracies of the 9-11 truth movement did not come from right-wing conspiracies. Contrary to what the media wants you to believe, 9-11 truth did not come from Alex Jones. 9-11 truth actually came directly from people's natural gut reactions on the day of the attacks. Um, that something truly fucking bizarre and unexplainable had just happened. I mean, even Dan Rather can't shut up about the way the buildings are falling on the day of. He thinks it's super weird, and he keeps saying it throughout the entire day. Um, so the idea that the buildings fell in a strange fashion is not something that's been planted by conspiracy grifters online. It was something that completely normal people, not even political people, felt in real time as they watched the day unfold. Um, and there's so many other unexplained things about 9-11. The buildings are a very tiny, tiny part of it, even though most people think that's all this sort of so-called truth movement is about. But, you know, the question of how couldn't they have stopped this was on a ton of people's minds that day. And, you know, at first for years, the government agencies were just obfuscating, delaying, stonewalling, covering up, you know, with things like the 9-11 Commission that were complete whitewashes, total bullshit inquiries. Um, but eventually what happened was no matter how many times they tried to revise the version of the 9-11 official story to us, especially during the Bush era, um, no matter how many times the media would try to deploy these little leaks to explain how the agencies weren't talking to each other and whatnot and, you know, the bureaucracies are so slow and this is why 9-11 happened. Um, regardless of that, it was sort of like there was this growing fire in people where people were so outraged and so horrified by the Bush administration that there was almost like a surprising consensus. When you look back on this, it is kind of surprising that to some degree you could find a lot of consensus between hardcore left-wingers and even your run-of-the-mill boomer libs, Democrats, who voted for Gore in that era because there was this inherent sense that something about Bush and Cheney were pure fucking evil. It, 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 so it wasn't abnormal. <laughs> it wasn't abnormal to find people at the time who were just generic Dems, Gore voters, who would be like, yeah, I could see the Bush administration having something to do with the attacks. And I even remember running into people, like people in 2004, carry voters who were like, yeah, when that, when those buildings fell, I was like, where, you know, who put the bombs in them? There's all these different gut reactions that people had. And I do think on some level, this is when the 9-11 truth movement sort of reached what you would call critical mass. It became so popular that even Hollywood celebrities um, and artists and filmmakers started to talk about it and started to say things in the media here and there. And then it is, and then eventually that even culminated in like actual celebrities literally ruining their own careers, some of them over sticking their neck out on this issue, which is surprising that it went that far considering that here we are now, you know, post-QAnon movement, post-Trump era, even Jacobin, you know, Daily Beast, some of these, you know, even more socialist-leaning media outlets will basically want to make us think now and essentially it's gaslighting us into thinking that all these questions about 9-11 arose from the kooky mills of the right-wing conspiracy, you know, internet scene, Alex Jones, uh, the Patriot Movement, etc. And that is just, could not be further from the truth. So I think that part of the goal today on this episode is just sort of to take you through some of the history of this movement, um, how 9-11 truth grew to sort of a critical mass and then how it essentially needed to be smashed down by you know a, a, a rather small group of sort of gatekeeping mainstream journalists some leftists 
um, even some, you know, people in pop culture that were hostile to all this. And it, and in essence, what it did was, I would say more journalists on a whole spent time mocking and marginalizing regular people all over the country who had these questions about 9-11 than they actually did serious investigative reporting about 9-11. I mean, that's the sad reality of it. And it's, I mean, you could call it journalistic malpractice, but I think it's almost worse than that. I would say it's almost Stockholm syndrome when you factor in the anthrax attacks. But anyways, I've ranted too long now, but let's, um, let's get started on, on what's going on now, because by the time you're hearing this, it'll be the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Ed Asner, an iconic, legendary Hollywood actor, also a vociferous um, proponent of political activism, huge advocate for you know, so many different causes. But the reason that we're bringing him up is because he passed away. I think he was 91 years old. Um, people may know him from playing Lou Grant, of course, uh, the famous Lou Grant and Mary Tyler Moore show. Then the grumpy widower in that Pixar movie Up, really cute movie. Um, he was also president of the Screen Actors Guild for a couple of years there. But I mean, he was he was one of the most political and outspoken actors in Hollywood incredible guy, super down to earth. And he never shied away from controversy, whether it was telling a Fox News journalist, um, you know, that he he wanted to piss on him or uh, <laughs> or basically just being a super hardcore 9-11 truther. I would say that out of everyone in Hollywood, Ed Asner was probably the most outspoken 9-11 truther who straight up was a me hopper saying that he thought the buildings were blown up. He was on numerous panels talking about this, a huge supporter of AE 9-11 Truth, the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. I mean, just an incredibly, I mean, brave man, right? I mean, no one can look at his career and legacy and say that he was not uh, brave. One thing that I thought was really, really cute as a side note is that apparently when Michael Moore was making Roger and Me, he actually wrote several celebrities asking for money because he was so broke. Of course, he heard back from none of them except Ad Asner, who actually wrote him back and said, I don't know you, kid, but here's 500 bucks. And he oh, said, yeah. it sounds like it'll be a great film. I was an auto worker once. I mean, just an incredible guy all around. Um, but, you know, the reason that we're bringing him up is because he was one of those people who who just stuck his neck out there despite all the consequences, despite the cost. And actually, interestingly enough, he wasn't really lambasted. I, I mean, he, yeah. perhaps he was, but I don't really remember him like having it affected his career. I don't know when Up came out, but I'm pretty sure it was like after the Night oh, no. Truth movement was spawned. 100% correct. And I was just yeah. going to say, I mean, in almost all these instances, and we're going to go into the Spike Lee thing next, but what happens is you'll get like an angry sort of letter writing campaign or pressure on a company. You know, it's like Ed, Ed Asner, it's like, yeah, he's he's old and doesn't give a shit. So it's not like he's going to care if you try to like embarrass him personally. So like, you know, being older and sort of not giving a fuck to have those qualities is makes it makes it easier to do this. But I think what's interesting is what you're saying is like Pixar and Disney didn't get like, you know, an outrage campaign sent for them to get 
up shut down for example it's almost like mm-hmm. they're like yeah let's let him have this one and it, i think <laughs> it's almost like up was like oh we, like the all the lib journalists who would probably jump on a truther were like oh my god i this movie was like so emotionally you know heartbreaking i don't want to like, like you know what no one else could play this character <laughs> yeah. let's just give him let's give him this one because really he he played it so well but i mean yeah, i, I still mean, won't watch it honestly because the openings i've heard I've seen like enough clips from the opening five minutes where I'm like, I know this is probably going to make me cry. And I, and I, I've already cried to one Pixar movie and I don't know if I'm re- like ready for that again. You know? so. Well, he kind of looks like grandpa too. So I, maybe that <laughs> the fact that he was so outspoken about this and unapologetically. So I think is you have to give him credit for that. Um, he also came on breaking the set shortly after I started the show and I just straight up asked him about it. I was like, why is no one in Hollywood really willing to speak up about this in the same way that you are if they believe it? You know, because because I think he mentioned that a lot of people believe it, but they don't want to speak out. And he was just like, they're scared. They're too worried about their career. And I mean, you could argue that case about every, you know, everyone in the journalistic field, too, because I have some stories about that, um, especially living in D.C. and stuff. But yeah, so just, uh, you know, RIP, rest in power, Ed Asner will continue to carry on your legacy and um, will continue to fight for you. He was also a longstanding member of the DSA, but he liked to call himself a humanist rather than a socialist. Yeah, and I'd like to throw in one thing about him is that, like you said, he was a lifelong socialist. And I I found one interview where he described himself as Hollywood's resident communist, <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> cool. And he actually did, the thing that makes it even more courageous that he spoke out about 9-11 is that in the 80s, he was a big supporter of the FMLN in El Salvador. Reagan uh, administration was um, funding hugely their opposition to crush the communists, you know, in, in Latin and Central America. And he was openly supportive of the FMLN. And he lost his show. So he had a show that was a spinoff of Mary Tyler Moore called Lou Grant where he played the same character, but it was like a drama. And it was very highly rated, and he got, like, Emmys from it. And they abruptly canceled the show, like, a month after the, you know, whatever series finale. And he, you know, openly said in the media, this is because of my left-wing views, this is because I supported the FMLN. And there were even protests, I believe, outside of um, CBS's offices. They didn't they never like confirmed that it was because of his politics, but it seemed like very obvious to all kinds of people that he had basically lost his show all because he had, you know, been brave enough to speak out. So, but Gumby, I thought the left controlled everything <laughs> in Hollywood and all of our culture. It doesn't add up. That's right. Yeah. The socialists certainly are controlling uh, Hollywood. Yeah. So I don't know. They had to, uh, write one of them off, I guess, to uh, to keep up the facade, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What's so gross, too, is I re- distinctly remember, I think it was, I don't know, I want to say like five years before Ed Asner said anything even about 9-11, he was just out there talking like a lot of trash about Bush and being very like blunt, you know. And I remember Adam Carolla was like, you know, these guys like Ed Asner, you know, they just... It's just like they just hate America and it's their ideology. And I actually think what the most disappointing the most disappointing part of it was I was looking for old Norm Macdonald clips and Norm Macdonald was there agreeing with him and I was thinking that just to me is just so revealing to think that and then and then of course what did they think when he came out with the nine eleven stuff? They're probably just like, Oh yeah, this is of course what someone who hates America would say. I, I just find it so fascinating that, you know, some of that 
mentality back then on the right, at least during the Bush era, where it was like, it was almost like they were offended. At, you would go too far in criticizing Bush. Like, oh, that means, you know, you, you just hate America. Like, why don't you go to another country? That's how, I mean, I, I do think people tend to forget how reptile brain it felt after 9-11. It wasn't just the fear of terrorism. It was also this, like, extremely over-the-top, like, fealty towards it wasn't just patriotism it was like a fascist like you must yes. be loyal to the united states or else you or Every, else you yeah. hate it right you know? and if you didn't have the american flag up on your neighborhood people would look at you like you're a traitor i mean it really was like that it was it was extreme group consensus of patriotic fervor like i mean it was totally unmatched because nothing like that had ever happened before here yeah I mean, remember, I, I, we don't have to go into this, of course, but I just I read the transcript. I reread the transcript because I remember we listened to Howard Stern every morning driving to school and like rereading oh, God. that show um, is vomit inducing. It's it's very devastating to read what his gut reaction was. And Robin Quivers just nodding enthusiastically like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just fucking carpet bomb and nuke the entire Middle East. It's like the fact that that was the most popular radio show at the time is just pretty harrowing. Yeah, and it is, I mean, and I mean, I could go on and on about yeah, how, new, new, how what, well, like what nine eleven was designed psychologically to do just to New Yorkers because I believe you know if you want to zoom out from it and see like oh it was you know meant to like put America in sort of a permanent state of fear. I also think it was specifically meant to do something to the New York mind state because you know there was there is a lot of like xenophobia and just like inherent casual racism among a casual New Yorker, and I think nine eleven just really it like lit that fire. And kind of made it go off in a way that, you know, maybe was under the surface right under there for a lot of people, but just kind of, you know, all of a sudden it was like, okay to just say that, like, you know, start calling Muslims terrorists everywhere and look, you know, most of the cab drivers in New York, for example, were of Arab descent or Middle Eastern descent. So just that alone, I think, really, uh, you know, brought out a lot of ugliness immediately. Although I think there is a deep seated feeling among millions of New Yorkers that something very wrong happened that was unexplained because of the referendums that happened because of the NYC can initiative and and because of a lot of things I mean you know I do think that New Yorkers innately do feel like they were lied to but of course there's a whole swath of them that just have to believe it because how could you not if you're just going to live there and look at this fucking you know what used to be I mean the iconic twin towers like define New York City skyline so I mean, let's move on to Spike Lee, though, because that because that's basically what this is. I didn't realize that his docuseries was about like a city that withstood 9-11 slash COVID. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been on the New York, you know, tip for a long time. Like a lot of his stories are are about like the New York City is kind of almost like a character. It's not just a backdrop. I mean, I was excited to learn that he was tackling this because I'm like, I you know, it actually the idea had crossed my mind years ago. I was like, that would be interesting if, if Spike Lee did something about 9-11 Truth because I feel like he would have, even if he wasn't pro 9-11 Truth, he would still have a more unique take that would bring something fresh to it. Um, so yeah, like you can imagine my disappointment when like, it's like, oh my God, Spike Lee's releasing one of his episodes of his docuseries is going to be about, uh, the buildings and how a lot of family members still have questions. And I had gotten wind of this uh, a long time ago from a pal of mine that, uh, Bob McElvain had actually been interviewed by Spike Lee. And as soon as I knew that, I knew that it wasn't going to be, you know, a debunking hit piece because 
I, at least I have enough faith in Spike Lee that he wasn't just going to bring out Bob McElvain just to like treat him like shit and make him look mm-hmm. like an idiot. You know, I, I was like, oh, that's actually gave me some, it was heartening to hear that. So then I was extremely disheartened when all of a sudden, then he got called out on Twitter from like, I don't even remember who it was. Maybe Gumby, you could, you could fill in, but there was at least a Daily Beast smear piece. There was maybe a Politico one. Uh, Slate did a big one, and I think yeah. the New York Times did oh, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, New York Times for sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was a huge campaign rolled out because I, this is, I feel like a lot of this shit works where you do get advanced copies or press releases or whatever, and then you have the, the hype built up, you know? Right. And in this case, it definitely worked the opposite way where it was just a huge campaign and effort, clearly, to marginalize yeah. and discredit his efforts and the movie and to put a, a pressure campaign for him specifically to cut that entire part. Yeah. And all, what I found what I found extremely disgusting and disingenuous about it, and Gumby, I'd like your comment on this, is just how it was framed under the veil of anti-Semitism, which is fucking insane. It's like, dude, okay, because Cynthia McKinney is just batshit now and post-Zionist did 9-11 with the puzzle piece. I mean, like memes, you know, that are blatantly anti-Semitic and stuff. It's like, why is now everyone lumped in the 9-11 truth movement now just painted as an anti-Semite? <laughs> like even the ADL's website is like, frames it in the in that entire way. Um, yeah, what I was going to say is that it, it, it's even crazier because he had completed the series completely. It was an eight-hour series, I think t- four two-hour episodes. And they... Um, had already released the first episode, which is two hours, at the time that this all kind of blew up. And what they had done is they released the full series to critics. So critics who were reviewing it and had watched the whole thing saw that at the very end, apparently, or at least in the last episode, there's like a big 30-minute chunk uh, that's all about, you know, all truther stuff. Apparently Richard Gage is interviewed, Bob McElvain. Um, and then so this was like a finished product you know and then wow this whole media campaign came out against him um mark harris is a guy i (laughs) i uh mixed it up with on twitter a little bit who is um he's a pretty prominent media critic and a pretty boring one i i would say (laughs) uh but he he at least used to be editor-in-chief of entertainment weekly and he's married to tony kushner uh, the playwright who wrote Angels in America. And yeah, he was a key, overtly accused Spike Lee of anti-Semitism for including this material, or at least saying it traffics in anti-Semitism or something like that, you know, some weaselly oh way of saying it. And at that time, all that was really had been reported that I'd seen was that it it he interviewed some of the people from Architects and Engineers for 9-11. So in other words, it's just this complete equivalence with you have questions or you have theories or whatever about the buildings coming down uh, by bombs or something, and that immediately equates to anti-Semitism. So, I mean, it was pretty disgusting from people who, you know, are supposed to be theoretically like supportive of artists or at least, you know, wanting artists to make the work that they want to make and that they would just, you know, crush him like this especially when he had done uh when the levees broke the series about katrina for hbo like 10 15 years ago whatever it was 
And that included some kind of like conspiracy, quote unquote, type material Mm -hmm. where he interviewed people from New Orleans who felt that, you know, they believed that the levees had been blown up. And I've never seen any proof that that actually was the case. But if you watch that docuseries, which is actually really moving and really well done, I, I think... Uh, yeah. You know, he, he doesn't judge them for it. He's just saying he's just letting them speak to it because that's something that was in the air that people were talking about in New Orleans. And it's still something that pe- that's in the air and people are talking about, you know, in New York City. So that's a really good point is that this is a, an artist should have the artistic liberty to depict the it's, it's an artist's duty, as Nina Simone said, to reflect the times and the cultural zeitgeist and how could you possibly omit this portion of it you know i mean this is a huge part of what 9-11 was and still continues to be yeah it's so fascinating because i don't even really see any you know usually when something's like trending on twitter that someone's like piling on somebody you know it happens pretty much every day now you'll see it when somebody's getting piled on or there's like a outrage campaign against somebody where somebody's trying to cancel somebody else. I didn't even really see much of that actually happening to Spike Lee. It was almost just like, you know, that one thread that Gumby just mentioned came out. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, you know, there was so much pressure that Spike Lee had to respond saying that he's going to edit, you know, that segment out of the show. And then Bob McElvain, who was interviewed in the miniseries, whose son died in one of the towers, uh, released a statement saying it was a profound disappointment that we learned last night from news reports that 30 minutes of Spike Lee's HBO docuseries addressing the destruction of the Twin Towers and Building 7 would be removed from the final episode. This is supposed to air actually on the day of the anniversary, which is the day we're releasing this episode. So that's interesting that how are they going to edit out 30 whole minutes this like soon before the release date? So that's a strange sort of rush decision to take place. Um, it seems to fly in the face of all the idea of artistic integrity. You would think Spike Lee would stand up more for that. Um, instead, it seems like he just kind of caved to the pressure. But where, I guess the weird thing to me... It had about to be this, internally. Yeah, well, where yeah. was this pressure? Yeah. I mean, if HBO... I, I yeah, thought it I'm, was leaked to the press, but it, what Gumby's saying is that, um, no, that no, this is like fully complete. And that's even yeah. stranger, because you would think at a certain point... Some HBO suit or somebody who was distributing this would be like, hey, guys, have you seen this last segment that's all about Building 7 or something? You know, you would think it would have... So to have it go that far and be greenlit all the way to the point of sending it to critics and then be shut down is just... It's unusual. I'm wondering if Spike Lee maybe is head faking. Maybe that's giving him too much credit, but, you know, he is obviously letting down like one of the featured family members, Bob McElvain. You know, he seems really upset, and I would be too. So well, one one thing that's interesting about it is that he cut out everyone talking about the building. So he had in hmm. NIST report people juxtaposed with the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth with people like Bob McElvain. So what was interesting is apparently he cut the entire conversation, including huh. the debunkers. So which is sad. I mean, basically what this is, is it's treating us like children, like the media loves to do. It just sanitizes our reality and doesn't want us to see certain things and have us make up our own minds. Not saying that I know what happened, but I think it's certainly a problem to do this to people. And it is a problem that Spike Lee caved to this. 
Just really quickly, too, I wanted to say that something creepy I never thought of before is that with this idea of these being streaming exclusive shows, you could conceivably like censor something out of a show like the day before it goes on much more easily because there's no concern for like brackets of time. So if right. like this was airing on HBO proper, they someone would panic and be like, wait a second, what are we going to do for like that extra half hour? How are we going to like the schedule, you know, what are they going to do with the schedule? It, it would be a little bit more of a panic. This is just like, they wouldn't have to worry about that aspect. So it kind of gives this, you know, the, the culture at large, you know, people in control, the ability to just like revise things. I mean, they even do it, you know, as, as an aside, they did it with that movie Splash. They covered up Daryl Hannah's bare ass with CGI hair God. in the Disney <laughs> Plus version without saying anything. You know, that's just, God. so that's, we're going to see that. On a on an exponential rise, <laughs> you would fucking know that, dude. You weird, <laughs> weird motherfucker. Uh, but um, one one funny thing just about what you we were just saying is that HBO was on board. I think I think that people from HBO were on board with this and did support it, and because HBO was lumped into the denunciation of Lee. So I I mean, who knows? Maybe it was someone internally who disagreed with it that that helped spark this outrage campaign. But I do think that HBO was on board because. You know they're not they're not part of the legacy media. I think they can take on more controversial subjects and get away with it. Generally speaking, so this was I definitely think that this was, you know, that they were ready to go with this. Yeah, I think so too because they they hadn't even really promoted this a whole lot. It was one of these things that kind of drops, you know, and you find mm-hmm. out about it at the time that it's also first kind of starting to be out there. So I feel like there had to be pressure on HBO. And it's um it's it's especially sad because Spike Lee is really probably the first filmmaker, at least of any note, to address nine eleven because he was producing the twenty fifth hour, um, which is a whole New York story, you know, crime story that had nothing to do with nine eleven. He was in pre production of it um, when nine eleven happened, and so he kind of you know re-edited or reworked some of the ideas to like build 9-11 into the story and make it like a post you know very clearly like a post 9-11 kind of um environment that's going on in the movie so you know to see him i i I really thought he was going to kind of stand up for it because i thought he was Mm -hmm. one guy that's kind of out there who is independent enough and kind of like you know his own man enough to um to just deal with the shit that he would get but um you know, I guess not, or somebody. It's hard to withstand. I mean, yeah. honestly, it really yeah. for someone who has been in the in the center of the media vitriol and discrediting campaign to completely undermine everything that you've done in your life and make it all about this. It it is, and I'm nobody. I mean, it is hard to imagine what kind of pressure he encountered. But also at the same time, twenty years later, it's hard to imagine that he didn't know what was coming. You know, that you didn't yeah. know that this was going to rain down on you. I want to just read one quote from Spike, uh, who who was interviewed by the New York Times about this, Robbie, and then um, I want you to your take on it. Basically, he says, quote, the amount of heat that it takes to melt steel, that temperature is not reached. Then the juxtaposition of the way Building 7 fell to the ground. When you put it next to other building collapses that were demolitions, it's like you're looking at the same thing. But ultimately, people are going to make up their own mind, end quote. I, I don't understand how this transpired. So I guess we'll just, we just won't know until more details come out. But I think oftentimes when people are in this position, when they sort of get red-pilled, I hate using that term, but if they get red-pilled on 9-11 truth and they haven't done their homework and they haven't, you know, it, it I would say, 
I still don't feel comfortable. Like if I'm actually was put in a position to like publicly debate someone on this issue right now. And I've been looking at this stuff for almost 20 years. So I can't imagine what it would feel like for like a celebrity who's sort of thrown into the deep end of this. Maybe he's only been on it for like a year. And then all of a sudden they're confronted with this. They, they probably feel unprepared. I know maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I think that maybe on some level they just back down because like they don't know how to really go to bat for it in a strong way. They, they cave because it's like strategically, they don't, they don't know which talking points to say or which ones, you know, are, are, are going to work or which, what's effective. And I think that's been part of why, you know, this, this movement's gotten largely crushed over time. Um, Mark Harris weighs in, um, and this is relevant because Alec Baldwin responds to him. This is some guy, I don't even know who the fuck this guy is, um, some Netflix documentary coming out called Five Came Back, probably some just super generic lib or something um, about some like Empire Baby movie or some shit. But he basically is like mad and he's like, artist isn't a magic word that entitles anyone to a national platform. This isn't an I disagree situation. This is an attempt to validate a 20-year-old baseless conspiracy theory with a deep connection to anti-Semitism. And yeah, a corporation has every right to say no to it. Then you have Alec fucking Baldwin weighing in. The official Twitter account for Alec Baldwin that looks like Boss Baby as his avi. It's like a weird, real version of Boss Baby. He says, quote, what do you say to the significant number of engineers and architects who have posited that com? At the very least, the commission's report is flawed. And then someone responds to him and they're like, that's stupid conspiracy theories are stupid conspiracy theories. Engineers and architects are capable of believing in magic too. Doesn't make their magic true. And Alec Baldwin responds by saying, what is the part, what is the magic part of what they believe? And then the woman responds, she's like, I think that they think they see what isn't really there. Simple as that. Alec Baldwin responds, you mean all of the detonations that are visible descending down the building. Fascinating that this was August 25th of this year, responding to all the Spike Lee controversy that Alec Baldwin officially weighs in on Twitter, barely got any play. I barely saw people talking about this. I only saw it because you sent it to me, Robbie. I didn't realize it until, (laughs) which I was shocked by too, that Alec Baldwin was coming out as a truther. Um, But apparently he had a short-lived MSNBC show and somebody... What? Yeah, and... um, on the MSNBC oh, yeah. show, he was going to do a roundtable on the JFK assassination. Oh, my God. And um, Mark Lane was going to be involved. Some of the, like, heavy hitters of, you know, JFK conspiracy stuff. And MSNBC killed it, um, like, at the last minute. I think from what he was saying, he had actually filmed the whole thing. And um, MSNBC shut it down. So I guess he's a little more, like, you know, woke to the uh, the conspiracy tip than... I, I certainly had any idea about. Well, fascinatingly enough, he was roommates with Max Kaiser oh. <laughs> in college, which is like maybe he is a little bit more quirky than we know. Um, but it is also interesting because he is so defined by like his mocking of Trump and kind of in the whole. I mean, I didn't realize that he, you know, he was in a Doug JFK and 9-11 stuff. So it was pretty surprising. A lot of people don't realize that there is there was a certain sect of the Hollywood sort of liberal celebrity class who did get red pilled on some of this deep politics stuff all the way back, you know, during um, when Oliver Stone did JFK. I mean, 
there there is kind of an activist nature to the casting of that movie. You look at almost all those actors, at least some of the prominent ones, and they were all very active at the time. And a lot of them, even like JFK, you know, I hate using the word JFK truther, but they were pushing those theories themselves, like outside of their roles in the movie. I mean, like um, what's his name, Jack Lemmon was, for example. You know, and in a way, it's kind of this like little secret. You know, they're kind of closeted about it now. And I think that people like Alec Baldwin, you know, there's probably a lot of other people out there who just don't talk about it because they know it's totally taboo. But again, the fact that he's talking about it now, I think, says something. It's 20 years later. The fact that Spike Lee was going to step out and make something like this. There's something in the air that it's no longer as taboo as it used to be. I think that's very encouraging in, you know, a lot of ways. For people who, like, think that this is ludicrous and stuff like that, we're not endorsing the theory of controlled demolition, but we're simply saying that this was a gut reaction from a lot of people at the time. Especially when you look at the testimony from like firefighters, for example, there's dozens and dozens of pages of testimony that David Ray Griffin compiled in his book, Debunking 9-11 Debunking. And it, it is, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's hard to wrap your mind around um, because these people are just giving their direct, immediate reaction to what they just saw, like literally like minutes after, hours after. And it's crazy stuff, you know? And this was only, this only amounted to about a half or maybe one full page in the 9-11 Commission Report. I don't even know if it was even about the detonations. I think it was just like witness testimony was compiled for a very short, very short span of the Commission Report. Yeah, and just really quickly, the FBI, I mean, to say that, you know, I mentioned Dan Rather at the beginning and how he had some of these gut reaction questions live on air um, about how the buildings were falling. But the FBI had even been saying things to the media that morning that they think that there's potential of explosives planted in the building just like during the 93 attacks. I mean, that was the first World Trade Center attack was a van bomb, you know, that was put in the basement of the tower. So, it's just so interesting how that became such a taboo thing. We're not supposed to talk about it at all. It's such a crazy thing to believe. Well, then if you're going to even talk about this, then, you know, explain to me how they could have done it, you know, from, from A to Z, like <laughs> give me the, the whole plan. I mean, you, you just weren't allowed to bring it up. And even today, it's people th think it's like a silly thing to talk about. But the thing is about it, I think ultimately, is that it's such a small fraction of mm -hmm. how many anomalies there are to 9-11 and, and how many questions that we really should be asking that I think that the media and these debunkers over time have done a good job of making it seem like that's the entire movement as a whole has been defined by that, that it's been defined by the more over-the-top theories, you know, this, and I don't know. Jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams. That's the meme that I've been seeing for the last 10 f years. You know, it's a joke. It's all a big joke. And Gumby, I mean, you, you said you came into this the the alternate theories about 9-11 later than we did what was your impression of like sort of the you know the buildings um focused sort of theories versus just the more overall other angles of looking at 9-11 yeah i mean i think for me and this is probably true for a lot of people is just like i'm not a structural engineer i don't know very much about architecture or buildings or or anything like that so when the theories or when a lot of the rhetoric focuses on that, it's easy to just kind of tune it out because, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I, I have no idea what how a building should fall or, or you know, what would happen if a plane knocks into it. 
I think once you find out about World Trade Center 7, most people, including myself, start to have a little bit more questions about that because it is bizarre and it's bizarre that I don't think I knew about it for probably like 10 years after, you know, after 9-11 happened. Yeah. So the, the very fact that I didn't even know that it fell, you know, makes me question uh, question it. But it, it's similar to kind of the JFK stuff where you can get into the ballistics and you can feel like you maybe understand this or that, but then somebody else comes and gives you some other explanation. And it's a little bit hard to like uh, triage that or like, you know, fit your mind around it. Um, because you're just hearing two sides and it's on a topic that, you know, I have no expertise on. So I would have to do a lot. I, you know, you have to want to do a lot of drilling down on it to get to any point where you you really have a, a set opinion on it, I think. So, for yeah, for me, I mean, I was, I was not, you know, conspiracy-pilled on 9-11 for, you know, a, a, a long time. And it wasn't the buildings, really, that, that kind of, turned me on to it it was more to do with you know the the connections cia to al-qaeda and osama bin laden and you know the stuff that um came out a lot of the stuff that's covered in like um the watchdogs didn't bark i think that was like a big thing that kind of you know swayed me in that direction and similarly kind of to the jfk case where you see how many connections to the cia and how many weird kind of unexplained things happen with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to the shooting. And you start to, you know, I think understand that there's a whole larger context around this that is not explained by, you know, 19 hijackers who are kind of, you know, crazy or, you know, one lone gunman nut kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that is really interesting. And yeah, I've met so many people who, maybe had the same gut reaction that we all did looking at the buildings, but because of the sheer fact that none of us are experts in the material and um, just deferred to the NIST report or, you know, I mean, it's hard to argue with like government scientists doled out there to be like, look, this is exactly how it happened here. These 3d renderings and models and it just had to be weakened. And then, you know, it's crushed by its own weight and stuff. And you're like, all right, like that seems to make sense. Um, But it still doesn't sit right with me. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's almost like a problem to just focus on the buildings or even focus on them at all because of the huge mountain of evidence that contradicts what else we've been told about it. Specifically, like, you know, just to your point about watchdogs didn't bark. um, I mean, just the fact that George Tennant, like, who was the CIA director at the time, like, purposefully hid information from Richard Clark. I mean, like, like even Richard Clark came out and he was like, I literally like was this, this information was hidden from me specifically and deliberately. Um, so then you have to ask, well, why, why were these wires not being crossed? Why were these agencies not sharing information? Why was NORAD able to <laughs> like not intercept the planes for two hours flying around? I mean, there's just, it's like, it's hundreds and it's endless and it it's just inexplicable and the fact that this is laughed off is just an absolute travesty of justice, especially since it's the premise for this endless war on terror that continues today. On on one hand, it's good that, you know, some of the celebrities we're going to mention, uh, you know, pop culture figures we're going to mention came out and, and spoke out asking questions about 9-11. 
But on the other hand, I think it is unfortunate that a lot of them chose to focus on things like the buildings instead of talking about it in a more nuanced fashion with like more facts at their disposal to, to bring out there. And, you know, Rosie O'Donnell is someone who I think people forget became associated. Uh, she almost became like the face of being like the kooky Hollywood liberal, you know, conspiracy theorist um, at the end of the Bush era uh, because she basically came out on The View and said a bunch of things about 9-11. But she's in the news again for 9-11 uh, because she she came out and announced that she wants to do a screening of Dylan Avery's new film, which is called Unspeakable. And she wants to bring out the people, including Bob McElvain, who were cut from Spike Lee's docuseries. Uh, she wants to do the screening in New York. Um, I'm not sure if it's supposed to take place on the anniversary. I don't think it is, but here we have Alec Baldwin and now Rosie O'Donnell and Spike Lee sort of all stepping into this. I, I do think it's signaling something larger. I mean, I, I say there's something in the air. I, I do. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's crazy to say that. I mean, look at how many left podcasts uh, recently. You know, it might seem like a very small microcosm, but I do think it reflects something larger. Like even they're starting to endorse or at least not shy away from discussing some of this stuff. So that's, I think, encouraging. You know, we have this sort of turn happening, but it's also, I think, something that people have forgotten, that a lot of the celebrities in Hollywood, people in pop culture, were really behind this issue and were starting to stick their necks out on this issue during the Bush era and into the Obama era, and it got completely shut down. Um, it became this mockable, you know, silly thing to even talk about at all especially with the election of Obama, it just became totally just everything was whitewashed and we're just moving into this new era. Look backward or <laughs> look backward. I wish look forward, not backward. You know, none of the people were held accountable for anything. So, of course, no one's going to dredge up 9-11 and the possible crimes that were committed by the Bush administration. Um, it just seemed like everyone just wanted to move on for their own sanity and because it was too much. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that countless hundreds of times someone just saying like, look, I, I, it's too much to actually look into, including didn't John Stewart say that, Robbie? Someone asked him about this and apparently he said that he does have questions about 9-11, but that, yeah, it's just too much. It's just personally too much for him to like handle like absorbing processing and then like managing to talk about for people who get how criminal and horrific our government's actions are every day around the world it seems like it's not too much for me like i you know what i mean it's like do these people not understand what our government is doing every day <laughs> like, well that's the thing i mean it would be fascinating it, it would be one thing i could maybe respect it if it was too much of a subject for him to be like politically outspoken about if that wasn't like his persona of being like a, you know, he calls himself a comedian, but it's like he takes on all these other issues and he's pretty much an activist about them, whether he would call himself or not. But this is too much for him. I mean, but it's almost like too honest. It's like he's admitting that these other things are not too much for him, but this is, I guess. But then to go out there and try to dissuade truthers, which he did later on, I think is where he made a really big mistake. Once you start doing that is when you're just being really stupid because it's like, the Bush administration never properly investigated it. So once you're out there mm. trying to shut down questions, I think it's when you've really fucked up. You've kind of crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> R.I.P. Mike Ruper. 
Speaking of Mike Rupert, you mentioned Gumby earlier, different theories weighing out each other. You can always find a better expert witness. That was sort of Mike Rupert's argument for not wanting to talk about the buildings all the time because that was his logic. And I think that that's probably the best logic you can use to say, yeah, this is not, maybe shouldn't be 90% of our focus. You did these amazing threads recently leading up to the 20th anniversary of 9-11, Gumby, and this is part of why we've asked you on the podcast today, where you basically compiled, and I think you've done it more comprehensively than anywhere else online that I've seen, people who are famous figures in, in some capacity, whether they're politicians, celebrities, musicians, and, and I think even maybe government insiders um, who have questioned the 9-11 attacks and, and have done so openly. I don't know, why don't you just tell me about why you thought that you wanted to start compiling that stuff? I mean, I'm assuming you had some purpose behind doing it other than it just being an, a fun research project. Did that bring up any new thoughts or feelings for you? And did any like light bulbs go off for you in any way reading, going back and not just reading some of the same stuff I'm sure you've already seen before, but then finding all that new shit that, you know, I mean, a ton of that I've never seen before. So I'm assuming you some of that stuff you had just come across as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, so the, re, the reason I started doing it, and I did a few different ones. One was on um, sort of like foreign leaders. Uh, one was on U.S. politicians. Uh, one was writers, intellectuals, and journalists. One was on celebrities. And then I did another one, which was a little bit different, which was more just looking at like the very earliest um, truther kind of commentary and stuff. Um, So that one was a little bit different. But it actually came because I was listening to a talk by William Pepper, who's I I mostly associate with the... um, MLK case. He, he's the one mm-hmm. that um, worked with the family to bring the civil trial um, uh, that, you know, established a conspiracy. Uh, but he was also involved in, in 9-11 True stuff. And this was a talk that I think was from the fifth anniversary. And he uh, made a reference to the foreign minister of Venezuela and how he had just talked to him and how he was fully on board with 9-11 Truth. And he had this is like the quote that Pepper says, the biggest 9-11 library in the world, anywhere in the world, and um, had met with some of the 9-11 truth people, and he got like a big cheer, and he mentioned the name, which was Nicolas Maduro. <laughs> so wow. I had never heard that. I had never heard, I, I, I you know, had no idea that Nicolas Maduro had ever even, you know, said anything about it. And what I found that was kind of intrigued me as well is that, Nicolas Maduro, I think, was in the U.S. to um, uh, to go to the U.N. And I don't know if he did this in the U.S., but Hugo Chavez and Maduro both spoke, uh, did a speech on 9-11 where they, they talked about very openly, basically accusing the U.S. government of orchestrating it. And um, so Maduro came to the U.S., and right after that, he was actually detained at the airport they um, harassed him and I can't remember if they strip searched him or something like, you know, like very overt harassment of him at the airport and eventually allowed him to go. But it it was like a minor story at the time and nobody tied it to this idea that he had spoken about 9-11 and I have no idea if that that really is the case of why he was detained or not. 
Um, but in kind of doing that, I sort of ran across other sort of global leaders um, who had spoken out about it. And that list is, was maybe the most like um, surprising to me because there are, are quite a few like Morsi, Fidel Castro wrote a like 4,000 word essay about um, his, you know, uh, investigation into trutherism. And I think he had maybe worked with uh, Michelle Chosadovsky on that, or I, I know that he met with Chosadovsky anyway. Uh, Hosni Mubarak, you know, um, Ahmadinejad, I think is more well known, but some other, you know, like Italian prime ministers and all these different people um, who were, you know, pretty prominent global leaders. So I did like a thread on those. It wasn't just Maduro, which is interesting to know that he was on this tip, but Hugo Chavez himself uh, actually invited William Rodriguez, the last survivor pulled out of the World Trade Center, who had the key to the doors that Bush posed with on the front of the newspaper. And he was depicted as the 9-11 hero. Of course, his testimony about hearing bombs and explosives even before the planes hit was omitted from his interviews on TV. So long story short, he, of course, became this kind of underground 9-11 Truth Advocate. And anyway, he was invited to Caracas with this billionaire philanthropist named Jimmy Walter. I don't know who that guy is, but apparently they were trying to launch an official Venezuelan government investigation into 9-11. I don't I don't know what happened with that. Maybe it was when I think actually it was near the time that um, shortly after Chavez maybe passed away, which I also think was suspicious. Um, but he, yeah, I mean, they even said that there were like CIA agents on the beach following them around. Um, they went all over TV in Venezuela talking about this, basically trying to prove that 9-11 was a self-inflicted wound. So pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah. And when I did my thread, uh, Chavez was the very first one I listed because he's, you know, definitely a big. I think, you know, has the respect of a lot of people, rightly so, on the left. And um, I don't know that a lot of people are, are aware of how deeply he kind of went on this uh, before, like you said, dying under, you know, probably <laughs> somewhat uh, questionable circumstances, to say the least. Well, it's interesting to see, I mean, and this is just a total random speculation here, but it's interesting to see what forces came against Ahmadinejad versus came after Hugo Chavez. Like if, you know, if he's to be believed that there were like American agents, like basically stalking William Rodriguez and, and Chavez in Venezuela, because, you know, because even just William Rodriguez coming over there was enough of a threat. You know, Hugo Chavez is not out there talking about Jews and, you know, like making comments that are overtly anti-Semitic either. You know, I mean, Ahmadinejad was misquoted, many times, you know, the wipe Israel off the map stuff. But I mean, they did do some really over-the-top anti-Semitic stuff too. I think it's easier to just write off him as like an anti-Semi-crazy person. Ahmadinejad actually probably went even more balls to the wall than Chavez did by talking about the UN. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Talking about 9-11 yeah. being in the side job at yeah. the UN. <laughs> but like what Chavez did is almost like more materially almost probably more strategically effective because like i said chavez is not out there weaving anti-semitic conspiracy theories you know simultaneously with entertaining these it's like he probably did it in a a way that would probably strike a stab wound in the united states image in a a much i would say much more effective way so i could see this maduro incident being retaliation for that i mean who the fuck knows but um back then i mean this is we this was still the bush era this was 
like I said at the beginning, there was a palpable evil to that era. There's a banality of evil more to this era, but the Bush era was like, there was like a darkness to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean no, was... there absolutely was, dude. There absolutely, the torture, the ugh, the war crimes, the heinous, you know, the, just the invasion of Iraq. I mean, good God. But wasn't, Gumby, forgive me, because I don't remember the intricacies of your list, but did you include that Japanese minister? I did, yeah. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Yukihisa Fujita was his name. And he drew on, I, I know, David Ray Griffin stuff a lot and some others as well and did, yeah, basically this whole presentation in front of the Japanese parliament um, going through a lot of the kind of stuff that, you know, David Ray Griffin talks about with the buildings and um, mm-hmm. things of that nature. And yeah, so he was he was definitely a big one. A side note, how, how bizarre and depressing is it that Marjorie Taylor Greene is like, an open 9-11 truther and like like believes in like the weirdest shit like the missile hit the pentagon and like stuff like that it's like what the fuck and the, yes. the fact that she's like a sitting congresswoman and is just like it just is so easy to sweep this aside and be like oh she's just a nutter QAnoner and of course she's a 9-11 truther too right i mean but at least uh you know even even more in fun or bizarre or depressing however you want to put it with trump it's almost like he's a schrodinger's 9-11 truther it's like you don't it's like people can paint him. There's been so many of his supporters that are still call themselves truthers who want to make him one of their own, you know, by that one clip where he's oddly, it seems like he's talking about like the pod missile conspiracy. If any, if Trump is saying anything in that (laughs) clip, he's like espousing one of the weirder, more debunked uh, conspiracies. It's like not, nobody talks about anymore. So, I mean, the whole, that that clip from the day of nine 11, Apparently know? it is, yeah. yeah There's so also bizarre. another clip of him being interviewed wow. on the radio. I think on the day of 9-11, he also talks about how one of his good friends is Larry Silverstein, who owns <laughs> yes, yes. the complex. What? Um, and, I mean, obviously, you know, that would be the case because who's, you know, he's a real estate mogul. You know, of course, he's going to know the guy personally who just purchased like merely, yeah, but it's just funny that he, yeah. he like brings him up. It's just I know. funny that he's yeah, like, oh, yeah. poor Larry Silverstein <laughs> lost a lot of property today. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, and his commentary on it is so funny because it's all about like the strength of the steel beams and stuff, you know. It's oh, about, yeah, 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 yeah. But he's talking almost more about how, not how it fell, but like how the planes went into the building. It's almost like he's questioning like the physics of like the the wings being able to like penetrate the... <laughs> the outside so strange clip um but uh but yeah i mean this idea that that like someone like sean stone oliver stone's son for people who don't know that is now hanging out with rudy giuliani um who has a lot of bizarre connections to 9-11 i i think it just shows how topsy-turvy this all got during the trump era yeah you know he's just like john quincy adams that's what sean stone said <laughs> and he is he is the alien and you know when you act. think about it when you think about it he is <laughs> Yeah, he he had John Quincy Adams had an anthrax cleanup company in seventeen eighty seven. So let's remind people also, Gumby, about how many like pop culture figures were were openly talking about nine eleven during the Bush era and even the beginning of the Obama era. I remember Hunter S. Thompson was one of the very first people that I had heard, sort of in pop culture you know, say on a, I think it was a British radio interview that he thought that his immediate gut reaction to 9-11 was he thought that it was like the CIA that did it. Right. And the host is like, wait, what? You, what? <laughs> like, that's crazy. And he's like, yeah, well, of course I thought that. <laughs> that was when, that was like maybe like a couple of months after 
give us some like other examples of people, you know, that maybe were so early on that people just have no memory of that came out. You know, people that might have even died, like passed away. You know, like in the mid mid or early two thousands. Yeah, well, certainly Hunter S. Thompson uh, died, and I think people get the timeline mixed up with him because he wrote he wrote an article on that was published on nine twelve. Weirdly, for ESPN dot com, I think. Um, yeah, because he was a sport. He's a sports writer, right? He did sports writing. Yeah, <laughs> and um, that one isn't actually. I wouldn't say there's anything truther esque in there, but it is a it is mm-hmm. a very good column. It's very anti war. You know, he says they're going to use this uh, to invade some country somewhere, and it, it's a very good article. But there, it's not explicitly truther in in tone. And then a few months after that is when he gave this interview. The the most kind of uh, consequential parts of which I believe were cut out from the original. And then the um, the full audio of it was released later. And that's where he, he talks about the stuff that you were saying that basically, you know, this was his gut reaction. And, you know, if you look around, you know, who had the motive, opportunity, means, equipment, you know, it's basically it's got to trace back to the U.S. government in some way. So he was definitely one of the um, yeah, he was very early. Gore Vidal, I think, is a big one who, you know, very extremely well respected from all kinds of different angles and also widely loathed because he was, you know, very left wing and outspoken about it. And um, he wrote an article, I think it came out about a year after 9-11. So it wasn't like right there at the, the beginning. But, you know, it was a very long piece. It was published in Vanity Fair. So, you know, a major publication and, you know, it, it's very much going down the road of, you know, who benefits from this attack, who would have the means. And, you know, again, it all kind of traces back to the, the U S government. He drew a lot from kind of Nafiz Ahmed's work, um, is kind of one of the kind of undergirding parts of, of that article. So those were, were definitely two of the like early writers on it. And then, um, I mean, as far as the thread I did on the very earliest ones, I mean, the the very earliest ones, there's kind of a duo, uh, which is Alex Jones and Bill Cooper, who were both on air on 9-11, who both did very long shows. Alex Jones did like a five-hour show, and Bill Cooper did like a nine-hour Nine, broadcast yeah. or something, which I listened oh, to. And it's so, it, I mean, there's a lot that's... All nine hours? No, no. Well, I okay. kind of had it on while I was working, you know, so it's like dip in and out or whatever. But uh-huh. um, there is some funny stuff or interesting stuff. One is that Bill Cooper attacks Alex Jones like several times <laughs> throughout oh, yeah. his broadcast because he, he hated Alex Jones. Um, and Bill Cooper is somebody, again, who died very shortly after that, like a few months after 9-11, I think is when he died. And they both also yeah. have claims to have predicted 9-11 as well, um, which I honestly haven't looked into that much. I mean, I know they made some statements that, that turned out to, you know, kind of have borne out. But anyway, those would be the two very earliest. And then the day after you have Dave McGowan, who, you know, a lot of people know from Program to Kill, his book on serial killers and weird scenes inside the canyon. Uh, he had a blog where he really wrote like he was clearly like writing his thoughts out on the day because it's kind of stream of consciousness but he i mean he's into like 
you know, the buildings were blown up and, um, you know, how could hijackers do this, you know, with box cutters? How could they possibly take it over? You know, all the like kind of the NORAD stuff about, you know, why were the planes not shut down? So all of the kind of like earliest, I don't know, um, questions that, that people had, I think is all kind of packed into this one long article. And he continued to like add on to that um, for, I guess, years after that. And he has also died, but, you know, that was years later after 9-11. He got into, you know, other other uh, areas, including uh, the moon landing being a hoax, when one of the one of his kind of uh, bailiwicks, I guess. And um, Michelle Chosadovsky wrote an article for Global Research, which, interestingly, Global Research started like three days before 9-11 or something like that. And um, he wrote an article that kind of went um, more into the the CIA connections to Osama bin Laden and that kind of thing. Who is that? Michelle Chosadovsky. He um, runs Global Research, the, uh, I guess, conspiracy site, you would say. But he was an economist Mm -hmm. uh, professor at uh, a university in Canada for many years. He wrote a lot of articles for uh, Covert Action magazine back in the mm-hmm. 90s and um you know definitely kind of straddles the serious versus conspiracy realm those two worlds I, I guess you'd say um so those were some of the earliest i guess another kind of humorous or interesting thing about the Alex Jones episode is that at one point Joe Rogan calls in and he like I guess he was listening. And so he like, you know, called up the producer and got on the show. It wasn't like they reached out to Joe Rogan. It was the other way around. Uh, But Joe Rogan is like oddly not truther about it. He's kind of the opposite where he's, he's having, he's more like, you know, pushing back in a friendly way against Alex Jones going a little bit more, you know, full bore into uh, the government having done it and all that kind of thing. Um, so that, that was kind of an interesting one. I don't, people, when I was kind of fishing for people to send me, you know, quotes from celebrities and everybody else, a lot of people sent me Joe Rogan, but weirdly he, he, I mean, he's kind of walked both sides of it. I don't know that he's ever really Mm -hmm. taken a full on position. There's an interesting interview he did with Rosie O'Donnell where Rosie O'Donnell is really like trying to convince him and he's doing the kind of Joe Rogan thing of like being open-minded about it without really, you know, committing to any particular point of view or whatever. So was this on her podcast? I believe it was. Okay. This this was like many years later. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, there was so many people dabbling in it. I remember when Bill Burr, Patrice O'Neill, RIP, even Louis C.K. were making comments, you know, at the end of the Bush era when they go on radio shows that they were they must have been like watching some of these conspiracy docs, you know, online or or just they were for some reason wanting to talk about it. You know, it was really in the air uh, at a certain point in the Bush era even. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, some of these figures like Gore Vidal who have, who have passed on and people who probably don't remember said things like questioning, you know, why how did Bush not stop these or how did he not know they were coming? But people like Walter Cronkite were even, you know, alleging that the Bush, Bushes and bin Laden were conspiring together. He even made a, a joke comment once saying that he believed that Bush might even have like 
Bin Laden on like ice somewhere to like <laughs> his body just to like haul him out when they need to. <laughs> so, you know, I just think we tend to forget how many different people. I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, off the top of my head, David Lynch. And I think this was after Loose Change came out. A lot of celebrities started talking about it more. Mark Ruffalo um, said that he thinks there should be a new investigation. Martin Sheen said that he thought there should be a new investigation. Um, David Lynch said that he thought Loose Change brought up some really interesting questions. I mean, tell me about some more uh, like people like that who started coming out of the woodwork, saying little things here and there about it. Yeah. Um, Willie Nelson um, talks about <laughs> it, that basically like I that he had seen a building implosion in Las Vegas. And, you know, when you look at the towers, that's what it looks like. And I think specifically Building 7 may have been part of what he was talking about. Uh, Marianne Cotillard um, has talked about it and I think was kind of forced into recanting it a little bit. Um, the actress um, sent a you know a bunch of stuff, and she um, she also I believe is a moon landing uh, hoax believer as well. So, okay. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I think again that may have been something she's recanted. Uh, Woody Harrelson, um, and he specifically um, credited uh, David Ray Griffin in a new Pearl Harbor, I believe, whenever he was asked about. I it. saw that, and yeah, that was a pretty interesting one, especially because Woody Harrelson's dad kind of infamously has connections to the JFK assassination and maybe was one of the three tramps, although that's somewhat disputed. <laughs> um, and I think, I, but I think it is confirmed they like murdered a federal judge or something. There's a very dark, weird history with his dad. Um, Janine Garofalo had uh, yeah. made statements about it. She signed one of the petitions they did for a new, you know, to have a new commission and um, specifically said 9-11 was an inside job on Air America, at least at some point. She did a bit on Conan where she said uh, she's going to put a, like a, do a hand puppet and say things that she can't get yes, away with yeah, saying. Yeah. And she just says straight up with the hand puppet on 9-11 is an inside job. It's like the only time I remember her saying it, but anyways. Air America was one of the only successful like left media projects that was mainstream. And the only reason that it didn't survive is because it wasn't able to sustain itself. Mike Papantonio was funding it and keeping it alive for a long time. But it was a huge part of that cultural zeitgeist, especially in the in during the Bush administration. It was it was really a cathartic thing to have very left wing hosts talking openly about the criminality of the Bush administration. Sam Cedar was on it. Randy Rhodes, Janine Garofalo, a lot of people, right? And there was other people too. And there were people like Randy Rhodes and like Janine Garofalo that were extremely open about talking about this frequently. Uh, um, there was another host. Mike Malloy? I was just going to say that's the one that I didn't think of, yeah. Mike Malloy. And Ed Schultz, remember there was a defection. Ed Schultz and Al Franken both started to go against it because I think there was like probably internal squabbling, I'm sure, like behind the scenes there. I mean, I don't know if they all recorded in the same building, but it seemed like there was like a little internal factionalization that again, sort of, I think was an early hint as to what was going to come later, which is going to be like the sort of intimidation of leftists to stop talking about this. Yeah, I know uh, Sam Cedars talked about Air America a lot on his show and that I think he's basically suggested that the 
ownership had no real political leanings and was sort of actively trying to destroy the company at some point. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely had a, I don't know, storied history there. Um, and you mentioned Woody Harrelson earlier. Um, and I remember Alex Jones would, you know, before the whole Charlie Sheen thing, which we're going to talk about in a second, he would he would brag about how the top three Hollywood like actors are like truthers, but he wouldn't say who he was talking about. He would say this all the time, and uh, you know I think maybe one of them was Woody Harrelson. I could see like Woody Harrelson like emailing Alex Jones, you know, trying to you know get buddy up to him behind the scenes maybe. Um, but there was this interesting incident which I remember first hearing about on nine eleven Blogger, which used to have a lot of good postings. I don't know if it still does, but. Uh, there was supposedly a, like a 12 Angry Men film that was going to be made where like it was like a jury trying to decide on like a 9-11 related court case that like where the jury was going to be like exploring all these unanswered or unexplainable things about 9-11, like in the mold of 12 Angry Men. And Woody Harrelson was going to be in it. I think Jack Lemmon was also supposed to be in it. Some of the people who had appeared in JFK also, um, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head who they were, but it was all poised to come out and uh it just got totally shut down i think before shooting actually started but it was a real movie that was that was going to go into production um at one point so you know there must have been some kind of energy at least among some celebrities to like you know stick their necks out on this issue but they then just decided not to at that time yeah i remember that i remember that was supposed to happen um and i also remember Muse, the remember Matthew Bellamy from Muse, the frontman. No, yeah, he said nine eleven was an inside job. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he was married to Kate Winslet, or not? Not I'm sorry, not Kate Winslet, Kate Hudson, um, for a minute, and has a kid with her. But yeah, I mean, it, it's just interesting to think that he also thinks that, and also like Goldie Hawn and that that family does too, but they've never come out and said anything. Yeah, and some of like the earliest uh, celebrities to actually like come out and, and seemingly endorse nine eleven truth was Ed Begley Jr., who did it. Uh, at a, he hosted a nine eleven truth dot org panel in two thousand four. Ed Begley Jr. later recanted. Sad. Peter Coyote. I couldn't find anything when I was trying to f uh, sort of confirm this, but I'll just trust my own memory that Peter Coyote the sort of the actor who was in Sphere. He's not really in too many movies, but you've probably mostly heard him as like a uh, Ken Burns, like narrator. Like he does some of Ken Burns, like most famous documentaries. I remember him being part of like 9-11 truth activism very early on too, like on Pacifica radio, like back in mm -hmm. like 2003, 2004. I mean, so these celebrities, you know, these old school sort of Hollywood lefties, they were on this tip real early. Um, and then... You know, you sort of, you didn't really see very many people talking about it, but then all of a sudden that loose change comes out. And I think that's when you saw sort of a torrent of, you know, these other celebrities, like I was mentioning, like Mark Ruffalo and some of these other people mentioning it. And then you had sort of the weird incident of Charlie Sheen and Alex Jones sort of teaming up together where Charlie Sheen goes out there, does this little statement for Infowars, huge get for Alex Jones. He was super excited. Apparently this is when... um Kelly Jones claims that their marriage just started to really disintegrate, which I guess she claims that Alex Jones got involved with prostitutes via Charlie Sheen's, you know, <laughs> prostitution pipeline. Wait, wait, wait. Was this when it was totally overshadowed by the whole crack rock 
porn no. star circuit. This was totally before that. Oh, right? this was before that, but he was already Charlie Sheen was already um, you know, married like not married to, but like living with those two porn stars, I think. Right. Or right. he had just been living that lifestyle. You know, the the real drug downward spiral happened, I think, like two years later. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, and mostly Charlie Sheen was mocked for this. Um, he wasn't considered the sharpest tool in the shed at the time. I think people kind of just thought of him as an airhead. Didn't really have much of an effect. Then Daniel Sunjata, I think, you know, who most people, you know, maybe a, a small time celebrity, but he was on that show Rescue Me, uh, that firefighter themed show on, on uh, I think, FX Network. And he actually was so like passionate about the issue of like a new 9-11 investigation that he got the writers of the show to write into the show a plot for his character being a 9-11 activist. And Daniel Sinjata later went on to narrate Dylan Avery's sort of last iteration of Loose Change, which is called um, Loose Change American Coup, I think. Is that what it's called? Uh, I thought it was just, yeah, I think it was called American Coup, but I thought it was just Loose Change Final Cut, an American coup. But I guess that's the that's third the third one. one. Yeah. yeah. So this is the fourth one. I mean, for people who are watching Manifest on Netflix right now, really cheesy show, but very bingy show. Um, he is the boyfriend of the the woman, and he also, um, I remember back in the day, would actually wear on the red carpet a T-shirt that said 9/11 was an inside job, and like flash his jacket open. That's and hilarious. On like you know. TMZ and all this shit with this shirt. That's so fascinating. I think Gumby's Gumby's back. I am hey, back. Gumby's yeah, here. sorry about that. My yeah, uh, no worries. Internet spazzed out. We just no went worries. through um, Charlie Sheen, Alex Jones, and Daniel Sunjata, and uh, Rescue Me. So I, I was thinking we get to, um, you know, Loose Change was quite a blow up in sort of celebrity world. I remember, you know, Rosie O'Donnell on her blog, and and a lot of people didn't notice this happening and it was happening for months and i remember um uh one of my friends actually sending me these little blog postings of hers because they were about 9-11 and she started recommending loose change on this blog this culminated with her actually bringing 9-11 truth to the view and not just like one or two times but like multiple times uh eventually sort of blowing up with her basically saying Uh, This, and this is a quote from The View right before her tenure there was over. She said, I do believe that it's the first time in history that fire has ever melted steel. I do believe that it defies physics that World Trade Center, Tower 7, Building 7, which collapsed in on itself, it is impossible for a building to fall that way. It fell without explosives being involved. She says, miraculously, for the first time in history, steel was melted by fire. It is physically impossible <laughs> to say that we don't know that it imploded, that it was an implosion and a demolition is beyond ignorant. <laughs> wow, she really was. Uh, I don't remember her going this hard. Um, but then she says, get a physics expert here on the show from Yale, from Harvard. Pick the school. You know, I don't know if Elizabeth Hasselbeck was in her were already going at it at this time, but people don't remember, like, only like a week after this, she was like, Rosie was being dragged to the dirt in the press for saying this. Elizabeth Hasselbeck and her were put up on a split versus screen on an infamous episode of The View, one of Rosie O'Donnell's last episodes ever, where again, like right after this 9-11 truth stuff, the smear started to come out that Rosie O'Donnell said that she doesn't care if the troops die. 
and that like she thinks the troops are like evil and that they should die. Um, <laughs> but and then so Elizabeth Hasselbeck confronts her with this like smear on the view. And then all of a sudden they pull up like a split screen, like versus type screen on the view of them like going at it um, with each other. And I think that's the norm now on the view where they actually do the split screen. Back then that was, this is literally the first time they do it. And Rosie O'Donnell claims that they did it by surprise. That It was like they nobody told her they were going to like do like a split screen versus match thing. And it was all like a staged thing basically to make Rosie O'Donnell look even worse after this 9-11 blow up. And then she eventually just left the show. It, it, she became too much of a, a controversial figure, you know, at that point. And, and then she was gone. That basically coincided with her infamous war with Donald Trump, too. Like her and Donald Trump started going at each other as well around that same time. But I think probably the only real meat from this that I think is genuinely like newsworthy, and I think most people don't even know about this. Um, most like people who are even into 9-11 don't even know about this. But the only celebrity that actually got like penalized or retaliation from like a U.S. government agency that we know of from um, dabbling into any area of 9-11 truth was actually billionaire Mark Cuban, who's famous now to a lot of people for swimming or not swimming. For, for Shark um, Tank. Yeah, for Shark Tank. But like <laughs> swimming but with sharks. back before that, he was known as like, you know, this sort of eccentric billionaire. He owned sports teams. He... And then he also like was kind of like Richard Branson. He was dabbling in like investing in some cutting edge things, you know, that maybe other billionaires wouldn't touch at the time. And one of those things was film distribution, specifically the film Loose Change. Now, what's so fascinating about this is Mark Cuban actually got slapped with a pretty serious insider trading investigation after this. And in his correspondence with the SEC, who investigates um, like financial insider trading, government agency. An official from the FCC actually admits on record in so many words that he is so offended that people within the U.S. government and the SEC specifically and like the financial investigation units are so offended by the mere suggestion that the government had something to do with 9-11 that he will basically be treated unfavorably in this investigation as a result of him wanting to distribute loose change. Like this was actually wow. reported in many news agencies. No debunkers even really addressed this to say, oh yeah, this doesn't mean anything. But I mean, I think it just, even if it doesn't really mean anything about, you know, the government being involved in 9-11, what it tells me at the very least is that there was this sort of shared outrage within any aspect of the U.S. government. Like they collectively believed that it was just utterly offensive to suggest that any aspect of the government had any role in this. I mean, that's sort of a weird mentality that I don't think really previously existed to 9-11 when there would be like exposés of the government doing fucked up shit. Especially like the legacy of the CIA. I mean, that well, was exactly. well known and understood before 9-11. Well, even like, let's say Waco, there was like some bipartisan consensus even, you know, on Waco. There was an Academy Award winning documentary that exposed Waco. And it's not like all the vitriol that people had against the way the FBI and the attorney general and, and built the Clinton administration handled that. There wasn't like every government official getting like mad, you know, say, like out there, like even like people who worked in the financial sector for the government saying that it's too offensive to, you know, suggest that the government fucked up here and killed a bunch of kids unnecessarily. That's the outcome of brainwashing i mean that, that if we're if we're wondering oh, what did i mean we can all see it look around and just the compliance 
and complicity for all the war on terror and everything that's coming along with it. But it is like very disturbing to think that this was the reaction. This was the typical reaction that you were offensive, that you couldn't even utter anything that had to do with implicating the government because you it was just a heinous concept. It was beyond the realm of possibility. Mark Cuban was going to distribute loose change on Virgin Airlines. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I don't even know if that was actually part of the reporting that got reported in the story, but I remember hearing that from Dylan and like reading that on like an early, you know, iteration of the reporting on this from like 9/11 Blogger. Like 9/11 Blogger, you know, was one of the first websites I think to report on most of this stuff. Like they caught most of these celebrity statements early on they caught this Mark Cuban distribution thing early on. And even it got leaked. This also actually, this one did get leaked to the media because the O'Reilly factor actually smeared Mark Cuban on an episode before this even got reported anywhere. So it sort of got leaked preemptively. Mark Cuban pulled back on it. But I think in the background, this 2008 insider trading investigation was really what put pressure on Mark Cuban. I I think someone like Mark Cuban, you know, he, he probably didn't really give a shit of Fox News an O'Reilly factor were going after him. I think it was more that that this SEC investigation was happening. And just so, you know, this was a real letter. Like when I first read this, I thought it was fake because it's actually pretty over the top how blatant this is. So this is an SEC official sending an email to Mark Cuban saying, Mark, if this upsets you, I wonder how George Bush feels. I assume that Mr. Cox would view your involvement with loose change much as I do. After all, he served his country as a Republican congressman from Orange County for nearly 20 years and was appointed by President Bush. If you feel like sharing my thoughts with Chairman Cox, be my guest. Previously, I thought you were foolish and naive. Now, however, I see that you are also a hypocrite. I guess your belief in free speech has severe limitations. If someone else is the victim of an absurd conspiracy theory, you defend your right to participate in smearing the good name of a patriot like President Bush. I think I will email this to Chairman Cox myself. I think you will enjoy it. I'm sure he is also a Laker fan. What the fuck? And then he says, I will explain... Since Chairman Cox may not know the background, I will explain Mark Cuban is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and has participated in distributing the vicious and absurd documentary Loose Change, which posits that President Bush planned the demolition of the World Trade Center as a pretext for going to war against Iraq. First of all, I'll just say that that is not what Loose Change alleges at all. At no point in the movie does the story say that George Bush planned the demolition of the World Trade Center. So, But anyways... I think that just shows real, you know, there's real implications here that you you just, you couldn't even get involved in distributing a film of a documentary that was probably going to be profitable at that point. Oh, actually, I should say that apparently Charlie Sheen was going to narrate this version <laughs> of Loose Change that was going to be distributed by Mark Cuban, and the O'Reilly Factor segment is what made Sheen back down from it, allegedly. What's interesting is before we started this, I looked up the organization Actors and Artists for 9-11 Truth because at the time there were a lot of these different organizations popping up and I couldn't find it. The website's been deleted. The video promotional material has been deleted. It's actually really hard to even find an exhaustive list of the actors and artists that signed on to this call for a new investigation and their words and thoughts about it. Um, And then it also just made me think of how you know, Loose Change was an explosive documentary that was watched hundreds of millions of times. One of the most viral videos that's ever existed online. 
But the only reason that was is because we had more of an egalitarian, like, communal internet where you actually could get search results that you looked for. And when viral content was viral, it actually was organic and it was shared as such. And so it is fascinating to even think of someone wading into this material today and how you would even come across some of these resources unless you like were tipped off to Paul Thompson's 9-11 timeline or something like that. It's just so crazy to think of how could someone even delve into this today? Because if you just like Google or or like you go on YouTube and you search for 9-11, like it is just, it's just regurgitations of the official story from all of the government for pages and pages and pages. And it, it, if you were just simply just a curious individual, you would not even go near any of this stuff because of how sanitized our reality has become under the cover of things like QAnon and and all these other things that have just purged all of these alternate ideas and just lumped them in with the craziest shit out there. Well, and a, a crazy, weird kind of addendum to the Charlie Sheen thing is that he ended up, he did end up making a movie about 9-11. He yes. starred in it oh called 9-11. And it's um, just a like straightforward <laughs> drama. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg's also in it for another weird view connection Holy to shit. And, uh, like, I remember when that, when, um, you know, the word of that film was coming out because nobody could figure it out. Why had they cast Charlie Sheen to be in the lead of this movie that it was not a true, it was the opposite of like a truth or film. It was just a straightforward drama. And, um, I, I think Sheen ended up kind of like reaffirming that he still you know, more or less believed in something, some kind of conspiracy. So it wasn't like he had totally recanted or anything. And um, I just saw this on the wiki- <laughs> the Wikipedia page, but apparently Pete Davidson of SNL, whose dad was a firefighter who died on 9-11, uh, you know, called the film out and condemned it because uh, Charlie Sheen was starring in it. So <laughs> Wait, because of Charlie Sheen's truthers? Apparently. I do think that he's one of those kind of guys that goes back and forth a lot on on things that he says because I also heard him say on a radio show, uh, in fact, a radio show that actually did become sort of pop culture popular for a bit that was really hostile to 9-11 truthers. They were bashing truthers on an episode maybe like four years ago. It's called the Opie and Anthony show. Pete Davidson was on it, and he actually said that he watched, he's like into watching 9-11 documentaries. So... He sounds like he's kind of all over the place on that. Yeah, that um, I could buy that with him for sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, he has a tattoo of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't <laughs> trust him. And and Hillary, but you were saying, Abby, it's so hard now. Where do you even start with this stuff? The internet's so sanitized. I think that it was already really hard to find stuff. If we be really honest, you know, looking back at the way the movement, if you want to even call it that, really evolved and how it became, how it was you know, for a, lo- a large number of years, because, you know, again, it was fun and exciting when celebrities and, and pop culture people started raising these questions in public, because it felt like, oh my God, something's happening. There's some sh- movement happening here. For example, Roberto Orki, the writer of the newer Star Trek reboot movies, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness is a very uh, sort of false flag inside job kind of a movie plot. He was dragged in the media for being a truther, at one point, as uh, one of the most successful screenwriters of his era, you know, but he, this is just an example of, I think, how 
you really almost have to look back on some of this stuff and reflect on how could we be more strategic now, even if we believe that Building 7 is really bizarre and should be looked into, how do we be more strategic now in raising some of these points and, and getting new people to, to look at it and take it seriously? And I think that this is a good illustration of how you can do things differently. So this is literally what he tweeted, apparently right before he deleted his Twitter account on 9-11-13, I guess is some kind of protest move for his truth or activism. He said, oh, so you think it's a coincidence that the fire department commander said they were going to, quote, pull it just before World Trade Center Building 7 collapsed, despite it having never been hit by a plane? So commenting on that really quickly, I mean, first of all, I don't, I never even heard of a firefighter commander saying that, uh, but not even like the specifically using the words pull it sounds like he's conflating the, you know, the classic Larry Silverstein clip with some other sort of 9-11 truth talking point. And I just think at a certain point, it's like, yeah, that Larry Silverstein clip like is crazy in or out of context. But at the same time, like you do kind of have to wonder like, like, what does that actually mean? Like, was he crazy enough to say to like admit to doing something like that on tape? I just think that it's it's almost like you can't really build off of that, uh, personally speaking. So I, I'm not saying people shouldn't have talked about it as much as they did, but I think making that like a almost like a rallying cry talking point, not necessarily the best thing. I think a video, you know, of just the building is enough. It's Right. It doesn't make sense. He wouldn't be brazen enough to basically be like, and then we demolished it. Ha ha, you fucking idiots. I mean, he's, Pull it. let's just say he definitely has some bizarre connections. There's some bizarre things with the attacks in him at hundred percent, no doubt about it. But I do think, especially just for myself, getting like sort of red pilled on some of the stuff was very emotional for me at points. Like I remember like it, it, it was sort of like almost like coming off of being like religious, like getting you know, D, you know, like coming out of a cult, almost like you feel this sense of like, holy shit, like this is a really, like it feels really big. So I think the emotional cloud of how close we were even to 9-11, exploring some of this, these or these alternate theories, I think we have to acknowledge that that probably even clouded our view to some degree where it was like, you know, when you're emotional and feeling like you're sort of waking up to these things and that you do feel like more sure that you know the truth, even though you really don't. I mean, it's it's I do think you kind of need to re-strategize and, and feel and figure out a new way to approach things now. I mean, especially now that there's this new opening. Right. We can't just go out there like with these catchphrases anymore. No, because I think that look at what happened to the JFK movement that I think the JFK movement did get bogged down in a lot of the catchphrase stuff. You know, like Gumby was saying, like you get in, bogged down in the physics and, and breaking it all down too much, it kind of becomes this endless rabbit hole in and of itself. So I just think people need to think of newer, newer and fresher approaches, you know, to a lot of this stuff because, you know, no, there, I, I would say there really wasn't serious investigative journalism done on the subject, uh, you know, maybe by a handful of people there was. You know, if, if Daniel Pearl was really going out there to investigate Pakistani ISI connections to 9-11, like some people say he was, that imp would implicate the U.S. government, then look what happened to him. You know, I'm not, you know, that's possible he was killed because he was discovering something, you know, that could have opened some new doors to our understanding of 9-11. There's a lot to say there. I mean, as someone who was exactly who you're describing 20 years ago, I read the books that we're talking about I watched all the movies and then I was just like this is an inside job you know like and I would just go out there and say that and 
trying to organize around this issue while thinking that you know everything and you are validating and pulling things into just essentially a confirmation bias at that point. Looking back on it now, I have so many regrets, you know, going out there and mimicking talking points that Alex Jones seeded into the movement to essentially what is what discredited it ultimately, um, saying declarative statements that I actually didn't know was true and couldn't prove. You know, I, I don't know what happened. I can't prove what happened. I can't take you through A to Z and explain really anything. And I think you said something that was really powerful once. You just said, after studying this and looking at so much for 20 years, you actually have more questions at the end. Well, but in terms of I've, like these these theories, you know, that, that that's what I mean. It's the like buzz, I, the buzz theories. That's what I mean. It's like I yeah, it's like I feel like I have more questions than I did. You know, and that's the problem is that there's so much there and it's so confusing and it's so big. You know, I, I like went the opposite way that you did, Gumby. I went out there balls to the wall right at the beginning before I even got into journalism. It completely derailed my career. I don't regret any of it because it's exactly how I, you know, my political trajectory took me to where I am today. And I'm, a, I'm obviously a lot more critical of and um, inquisitive and I don't make statements that I can't prove. Um, but it is it's a travesty all around because I think this was just like the attitude back then. And I see how unsavory that kind of approach is now when I see other people, you know, derailing people's events and confronting people and like yelling. And um, it, it has become affiliated with like a right wing tactic. If we're looking at the actual history, it was historically, it, it historically arose out of like left anti-war activism and questioning from very prominent intellectuals and thinkers at the time that are that continue to be very influential but that's just been completely whitewashed right and now it's just associated with like right-wing kookery so it is it's kind of sad it's it's sad to look back and think what could have been and it's also just weird that I was such a part of that you know once you peel back the layers here and especially I will say having traveled so much um everywhere around the world I I talk to everyone about U.S. politics, of course, wherever I go. And I will say that 99% of the people I've talked to that are abroad, that are not American-born, completely fucking agree. Not necessarily, oh, 9-11 was an inside job. And they're like, yeah, 9-11 was an inside job. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what we're talking about. That this is, it, it's obviously there's something that we're not being told that it's, you know, that, that the government was clearly implicated in one way or another. It's totally non-controversial and a very mainstream belief, I would say, around the world, of course, which makes sense because these people are living under the brunt of our policies that subjugate and oppress a lot of these people everywhere. So it's more palatable and more acceptable. And a lot of these people have already faced that reality. And I just want to cap this off by saying that I have had two people from relatively high up in the military, and I'm not talking about my partner, Mike, who, but who has also said this, by the way, that Flight 93, it's just, a, it's just a totally understood thing in the military. And these people actually, one of them said that they know a person who absolutely knows for sure that Flight 93 was shot down. I would start, if you're, if you're in, seriously interested in like spending time on it and not just like a you know, easily digestible, like two hour long documentary, I would say 
look at something like Paul Thompson's um, 9-11 timeline, and when you really just start looking at all the stuff that was reported on, you know, that's been confirmed, you look at every little aspect of the story, you just automatically starts not making sense. So just by the very nature of all the contradictions when laying out the timeline, you just start intuitively understanding that, you know, there are lies being told at multiple points all throughout these different reports, but actually trying to figure out which ones are lies or not is, you know, is the difficult part. But I just want to mention before passing to Gumby that one thing in pop culture that's 9-11 related that, you know, a lot of people already talk about and know about, but that's really bizarre, intriguing. I don't know, really know what it means, um, but it's a, just a really interesting artifact is the pilot for the X-Files spinoff show, The Lone Gunman, um, the plot of it. And this is the first episode. It was the pilot episode of the show. It was aired, I think, something like seven months before 9-11. Pilot episode of the show is that these the Lone Gunman characters are like these expert hackers. They're, they also happen to be conspiracy theorists who run... Um, a, a newsletter called the Grassy Knoll, and they're all named after these like intelligence agency-related things. One of the characters' name is Langley. Um, so they basically, in this episode, uh, they find out that someone from the military-industrial complex, he's sort of like a Pentagon liaison kind of a guy, um, has this is hatching this plan to basically remote-control planes, crash them into the World Trade Center, and make it look like like Muslim terrorists did it so that they can have like an, an endless excuse to basically go to the Middle East and pillage resources, including oil and things like that. And at the last second in this episode, the lone gunman hack into, you know, the remote control piloters system. And then like they fly the plane, they veer it away from the World Trade Center is about to crash into it like a second before it crashes into it. And so it's just a very weird coincidence that this is an episode of a television show you know, airing almost a year before 9-11 that has a plot like this that's not a plot about, you know, terrorists flying two planes into the World Trade Center. It's a plot that's kind of about the underlying framing that most 9-11 truthers tell their stories within. Like, that's the plot of the episode, which is just so odd when you really think about it, <laughs> that it's alleging an inside job conspiracy of the U.S. government using planes to fly into the World Trade Center and blame terrorists before like 9-11 even happened at all. I mean, that's just the weirdest shit ever. But no one could have envisioned planes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and what's really uh, crazy and funny about that is I, I think it's on Alex Jones' show, maybe on Bill Cooper's show the, on the day of, is that people call in and say this this is exactly like, <laughs> like the lone gunman. So people were drawing that connection literally on the day, you know, it was happening. So... Gumby, what was it? I know that you said looking at the watchdogs didn't bark and stuff, but I mean, what was the impetus to even look into that stuff? I don't, you, you know, that's a good question because when I was hearing you talking about it, you're, you know, you're kind of uh, beating up on yourself a little bit. Um, and I kind of feel like, you know, I've done that from the opposite point of view, which is that I just had a, you know, sort of a mental block about this particular issue, even after getting a little bit into more like, you know, quote unquote, conspiracy type stuff where this was like the biggest hurdle mentally to get over to like allow myself to think that there is more of a story here, 
you know, something beyond just like intelligence failures or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and I don't know that I could say that there was one thing. I will say that I kind of came in through the back door a little bit on it and the anthrax attacks were a little bit more, I, I would say it was kind of like my stepping stone toward, um, you know, 9-11 itself, starting to question it. Because I think steering people in that direction maybe is, a, you know, if you want to think strategically about it, I think the anthrax attacks are useful in that way because the official story is so all over the place it makes no sense. They blamed one guy, you know, he sued and, you know, gets a bunch of money and they blame another guy and he ends up dead. And there's not really any resolution to it, even within the like official framework. And it dragged on for years and years. Um, But it's also something that like, I kind of remember, I remember remembering the anthrax attacks, if that makes sense. Like it was this thing that Mm. was, very consuming for people for all of us when it was going on because it was like it seemed to be happening everywhere it was popping up you know anybody could get anthrax in the mail you know it could happen anywhere and it was this you know literally terrorizing uh situation and it kind of just fell off the map when you know it didn't clearly point back to saddam hussein or osama bin laden or something like that And so when you kind of recover that memory of what that was like and what it felt like, and when you look at it and the official explanation is, oh yeah, this random guy did it and he tried to make it look like it was Al-Qaeda, you know, it just doesn't (laughs) wash really in any, in any way. So I think that was kind of the thing that got, and, and then once you, you look at that, the anthrax attacks, I mean, they just seem so clearly tied to 9-11 and there are even direct connections with um you know was it Mohammed Atta or one of the hijackers you know trying to get a crop duster a story that came out like three days after 9-11 I think before the anthrax attacks had even started up and uh one of the hijackers supposedly you know like went into a hospital with a finger cut and uh they subsequently went back and said, oh, well, that was actually uh, sub- or cutaneous anthrax. Like, um, so there, there were these seeds that seemed to have been planted that were directly tying it back to 9-11 itself. You know, even if you don't know those kind of little factoids that tie them together, everybody who lived through it understands that those were completely tied together in the public consciousness. I mean, there was no doubt that anthrax had something to do with 9-11 i mean that that's just the everybody knew that you know on some subconscious level um and And the letters the letters were dated 9-11-01 i mean that was exactly whoever sent them wanted to make it seem like they were connected too yeah death to america death to israel i mean it was all you know directly obviously tied in um yep so i think that was kind of the you know, so I, like I said, I kind of came from it from the opposite angle. And, you know, sometimes I look back on it and I think about how, because I, I was not really a conspiracy oriented person or somebody who looked into deep politics or anything like that for, you know, a pretty long time. And I look back on it and I just think, you know, I was how stupid I was to, to just 
by an official explanation without ever really questioning it much at all. And I mean, I remember watching Loose Change and, uh, you know, I think it was just something that was kind of like in the ether for me more than it was something that had a major impact on, you know, the way I viewed the world or 9-11 or anything like that. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think that one of the weaknesses of the um, 9-11 truth movement was that it did focus a lot, like you were talking about, on slogans, on kind of haranguing people and having a certainty that matched the certainty of the official story as opposed to more like injecting doubt into the official story. And I think at least for someone like me, that's more powerful The like the injection of doubt and the, in, the kind of chipping away at what the, the edifice of the official story is. That's an easier way for, at least for me to get into a story than there's an official explanation that doesn't seem to hold up. And then here's this other side that has complete certainty about, uh, you know, things that, that they're, they believe their alternative theory. Um, and I, th I think what's happening. And I mean, I, I think there is kind of a burgeoning thing, at least on Twitter and some podcasts like Ravi was talking about where people are willing to go down these paths a lot more and including with nine 11. And I think that it, you know, that hasn't been focused around um, the sloganeering as much. It's it's more focused on, you know, let's just take another look at this. Let's try to have some fresh eyes on on the official story and on alternative theories and what holds up and what doesn't and what's disinformation. Because I think that's a big part of the 9-11 mm -hmm. truth movement story is that there was a huge... I mean, from my perspective, looking back on it, there appears to have been a quite huge injection of disinformation from a really, really early point. Um, and I think the, you know, the missile at the Pentagon was a big thing that derailed the, the movement for a long time. And, you know, when I was going back through state statements, that's a big thing. A lot of people bring that up. Fidel Castro <laughs> mentions that in his, his long essay on 9-11. And, you know, it was believed, and I think still among a lot of people, um, you know, kind of getting into the movement, it is believed. And a lot of the documentaries that people come across still kind of advance that as being the theory. And I wouldn't say that I have complete certainty about anything really related to 9-11, but that particular idea does seem to have been one that was, um, you know, promoted <laughs> in some capacity. And it, it does seem to have really like derailed a lot of people. So I think that's one of the biggest issues and one of the biggest pitfalls with trying to wrap your mind around this is just that there is just a huge amount of disinformation. There, so many of these, of the kind of whistleblowers, you have to really question like every single one and really look at their story pretty closely, I think, to determine is this person on the level or is this somebody who is kind of feeding some disinformation or trying to send people down the wrong path or a limited hangout that kind of goes nowhere or, or what, whatever it is that's happening. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think those are kind of my, you know, my positioning on it is, is just trying to like come at it from the opposite 
end of the spectrum and try to <laughs> to to drill into it and figure out you know where you know where is the the truth in all of this i guess the disinformation aspect of this is such an important point gumby and yeah i mean looking back on it it's it's a shame i mean everyone from sabelle edmonds to uh god who was that guy from who said that he found the thermite robbie from byu oh stephen jones yeah i mean it's really unfortunate when you look back and and even the woman who made um 9-11 mysteries or I forget. It was it was another Sophia Smallstorm. She went on to be like a Sandy Hook conspiracist and made like a three hour documentary about how Sandy Hook was fake. And I was just I remember watching it being like, this is absolutely bizarre. It is just makes no sense. And it was just like, no, I feel like there was like barely anyone who people lauded as these figures turned out to even be like credible, like years later. And I think the few that did have something to say also, you know, are compromised to some degree and they only were able to feed out little bits. Like we talked about with Richard Clark, like I wouldn't put full trust in Richard Clark at all, but he he did feed out something that seemed to be that, you know, really seems to be pretty significant or like Thomas Drake, you know, had some some information that I think was you know, fairly significant, Colleen Raleigh, you know, these people who had just mm-hmm. little pieces of it and, um, you know, not somebody who's kind of putting things out there that, you know, feel like it's kind of cracks the whole case. Why? Like Jim Fetzer, you know, and space lasers. Or oh whatever, God. Like you know? the Judy Wood. Yeah. yeah. The space beam theory of the pulverization of the dust and all that shit. It's just like, what the, like, what is going on? I mean, it's sad to a certain extent because it's really, preying on people's emotions i mean vulnerabilities uh, the ignorance of a lot of people you know and and that's what disinformation campaigns are and that's what they do very successfully and the thing is we don't know what was legitimate disinformation that was actually seeded out through the movement on behalf of some of these entities that we might be talking about or what was just organic you know, grifters, people trying to seize on the opportunity, people who are just completely fucking insane, like James Fetzer. Or misinformation, uh, like Game of Telephone, people not getting the facts exactly right and conflating them, like that Robert Roberta Orkey quote I read. Yeah, totally. I mean, just just cherry-picking certain things, like the Pullet or Larry Silver, you know, Jeb Bush's, or Marvin Bush was in charge of security. It's like, all of these things sound compelling, but when you really lay them out, there's no real definitive case like this is you know this is how they did it this is who was involved it's just like it just all kind of very disparate that's why i think random things yeah and that's why i keep stressing this idea to people like find new angles that haven't been covered yet and i do think there's a lot of really obvious ways you can do that i mean even just something like kevin ryan's another 19 he's taking some some big leaps in his book but they're like he has a strategic new way of taking these leaps in a way that other people really didn't do previous. He f- he tries to find, you know, around 19 individuals who have what he thinks are some of the most suspicious ties to the 9/11 attacks and most of these people are American, you know, related to the military industrial complex or various aspects of government. And that's an approach that really no one had taken like that before him. I've 
taking a similar approach, like Gumby was suggesting the anthrax is a really good um, sort of entry point into getting maybe into the larger subject of 9-11. I think an approach that I sort of took from Kevin Ryan that I wish I wish I wasn't the only one doing this because it seems like I am and I'm and I kind of you know it, it's a it's a hard thing to continue to focus on the anthrax attacks because frankly it, it makes me it stresses me out um, and it, it gives me a lot of anxiety to be constantly in that headspace of looking for new anthrax threads so I'm encouraging other people what I'm saying is I, I really want other people to be looking at more at anthrax but specifically using a similar technique that Kevin Ryan has with the anthrax attacks. I don't think anyone's really ever done, a, used a similar strategy when trying to find potential anthrax suspects. So I think, first of all, that would be a good effort. You know, if someone wanted to spend that effort just trying to guess, or not guess, but, you know, uh, educated guess by doing like real factual research. And then also finding people that have connections to both. Because as you were saying, Gumby, I think this is a really important aspect of all this is these these were somehow tied together. No matter which way you land on it, even if you believe the official story wholeheartedly, uh, there appears to be some ties to the 9-11 hijackers. I mean, I, I do think we need to start looking at this more like like not just the 9-11 attacks by themselves, but more like this this sort of overall event, which included two major attacks because... You know, everyone likes to think that 9-11 itself or was the event that was the thing that allowed the Bush administration to start endless war. But I don't think 9-11 by itself actually would have done that. I do think there would have been more resistance if it was only 9-11 and then the fear of terrorism had just sort of died down. I think it was sort of like the anthrax attack was necessary to create the perception that this was going to be the new way of life. Our reality had now changed. 9-11 was shocking in of itself. It was spectacular. It was jarring. You know, it, you know this idea that we had um, gone to sleep on 9-10 and then 9-11, like our lives had completely changed. You know, like the reality had changed. Yes, that's true to some extent, but I think it was anthrax that really basically locked that in. It, it kind of made that feeling permanent because... It was something that dominated people's attention for a long time, and then we barely hear about it now, too. So memory hold, however you want to describe it, it's just sort of almost um, unsettling how much fear was generated over in the media every day for months, and then now we never hear about it anymore. Like the narrative that we hear about, even from the anti-war movement, never includes it. And I just find that unsettling. I mean, even the WMDs, you know, they lied about WMDs talking point. I talk about this all the time, how that to me almost feels like it's a way to cover up the anthrax attacks. I don't, I'm not going to break down my whole conspiracy theory within a conspiracy theory there, but it is almost such a useless talking point that almost in essence basically continues to erase people's memories of how WMD was essentially just a code for anthrax from the very beginning in terms of the way the Bush administration used it. So when you actually start trying to find people who have connections to both attacks, uh, potential insiders, you, you could maybe start finding some very, very interesting things. And uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, incidentally, happens to be one of those people, right. you know? So, you know, he, he maybe doesn't see, it seems crazy maybe to suggest that he could be involved in any way in either attack. But when you, when you look at all the evidence laid out, it, it, it just starts to get really strange. Yeah. 
I guess I'll just wrap it up. And thank you, Gumby, for coming on and spending time with us and stuff. And it was really cool to be on with you because I've really enjoyed your previous podcasts. I would just urge people to continue to have an open mind and to just look at some of these things. I recommend people looking at 9-11 Press for Truth and the follow-up documentary in their own words, right? Is that is that the title of it? Yeah, fa- 9-11 Families in Their Own Words. or I don't remember the exact title, but yeah, it's the unreleased a sort of compendium documentary to 9-11 Press for Truth made by John Duffy and Ray Novoselsky. Yeah, and even like their research kind of unmasking Alfreda Bukowski as someone who is a very interesting example of someone who basically failed their way to the top. Um, if you're looking at like, these are the official stories of how this person continued to be promoted, even though they kind of are involved in all of these quote-unquote intelligence failures. Uh, it's it's a fascinating thing, you know, and and it doesn't make sense at face value. And so just continue to question it. I think that the last 20 years have served as an important retrospective to look back at the actual legacy of the war on terrorism through several administrations now and just kind of take stock about the damage that's been done in the wake and name of 9-11 and how important it is to actually look at the event that you know, that was the catalyst. And, you know, records like PNAC and the Project for New American Century documentation, I mean, that that is important. And it is important to look at what the event was that essentially handed the MIC exactly what they knew that they needed. So I it's hard to uh, tackle and it's hard to really wrap your mind around. But I, I think the point is that you don't need to, you know, you don't need to really like understand or conclusively like you know have like a fucking clear alternative explanation that's not what this is about this is just about opening yourself up to the possibility that the government could have uh, at the very least facilitated the attack you know in terms of like allowing and opening the doors to make this happen and really is that so hard to believe knowing what we know now you know now that the emotional toll has kind of faded away. I mean, people aren't as psychologically traumatized and held hostage by the propaganda. All right, Gumby, really great talking to you, and I hope to talk to you again soon, man. Oh, thanks so much. Big fan, and this was uh, this was awesome. We killed nearly 3,000 people on 9-11. We killed nearly 3,000 people on 9-11. We killed nearly 3,000 we killed nearly 3,000. We killed nearly 3,000. We killed nearly 3,000. We killed nearly 3,000 people on 9 11. We killed nearly 3,000 people on 9 11. We killed the airplane when it was over American soil. Hi. This is Robbie again. I just wanted to let our listeners know that this was only one of two parts of our 9-11 20th anniversary episode. In the second episode, Gumby and I continue the conversation going through a list of famous academics, writers, politicians uh, who supported a new investigation into 9-11. The second part of this episode is titled When They Came for the Truthers because Gumby and I discuss how the 9-11 truth movement eventually encountered extreme resistance from not just the media class suddenly, but also within the left, inner left shaming and marginalization. And then we also 
have a pretty long discussion about all the bombardment of new 9-11 news coming on the heels of the 20th anniversary. And yes, this episode is also two hours long. If you'd like to get access to this episode, by the time you're done listening to the episode you just listened to, this one should already be up. You could get access to it by becoming a Patreon subscriber of ours for only $5 a month or per creation. And this gives you access to our one bonus episode per month. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. We killed kids on the basketball court. 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 We killed kids. On the basketball court. We killed kids on the basketball court.